the Garden Hose Australia podcast, where we talk all things gardening. Your hosts, Jamie and Erin, will wander down the garden path with tea or gin in hand and discuss gardening loves, hates, new discoveries, interview some of our garden heroes, visit inspiring gardens and continue a discussion about plants that started over 30 years ago in primary school. Hello. Hello, Erin. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Pretty well, thanks. Thanks for asking. I'm actually a bit stiff and sore because I spent another afternoon weeding because the weeds don't stop. In winter, when there's frost on them. Oh, it was, I actually came in so muddy. I had my green hip overalls and I had several layers on underneath and the mud and the wet went through every single layer. And my mobile phone now that I have out there listening to podcasts the whole time, I actually lost it for a while under a pile of muddy weeds and it was so caked in dirt. So I've been scrubbing it. I don't know. I think there's dirt into all sorts of crevices. I just can't get out now. Um, But, yeah, actually it's a good time of year to weed because um, it's easy to pull them. And so I was um, just, just all the running grasses. Such a pain. But the heartening thing is when I was lifting out all these weeds, underneath I can see all the bulbs starting to shoot up. So I've got, yeah, rah, heaps of uh, daffodils coming up, although lost all the freesias. I have had of two years I've planted freesias now because I love freesias. And um, I just I plant heaps of bulbs and they don't even make it through a few months. I, I'm, I don't think they've been eaten. I'm guessing they're just rotting. They're little bulbs. Yeah, I don't know. I've, I've got freesias in pots yeah they don't I just leave them there though but just from one year to the next and I I get a couple every year and that's it yeah I'm thinking maybe pots are going to be where it's at for freesias for me I just think maybe they don't like clay soil not going to work so I could just backtrack Mm. got two points number one Mm -hmm. number one I am glad that is your phone your phone has the crevices and the caked (laughs) in mud I think some of my crevices were caked in mud after today's weeding. (laughs) Oh, I thought it was just your phone. Number two, you know what you could benefit from? What's that? Once upon a time, I was the very proud owner of a pair of overalls that you might own if, say, you were a dairy farmer working in a dairy. I think that cost me about $350. This was about 15 years ago. They were Um, expensive overalls. Tax deductible, wet weather gear. Ah, hmm. yeah, actually, I remember when I was a kid and my dad worked on a flower farm as his second job uh, on weekends and holidays. He had this full yellow wet weather gear kit that he used to work in. Maybe I need something like that. You don't need the yellow. That was, (laughs) no, I'm not talking about the colour. I'm talking about in terms of quality of the material. That was the 80s, Erin. We've moved on with material technology. (laughs) Where did you get yours from? It was a specialised dairy equipment. So what did you get them for? For nursery work. Oh, nursery work. Ah, okay. Yes. Working, working year-round um, outdoors, um, I tell you, they were insulated and waterproof mm-hmm. and um, they were fantastic. Oh, you're talking my language now. Mm. Insulated is where you got me. Yeah, they were they were expensive, but I never regretted the money. They were so good. Mm, all right, might have to think about that. But tell me, what's your weekend been like? Had a fabulous weekend. Oh, tell me. Well, uh, Friday night went to a surprise party for a very good friend um, for a significant birthday. Codename J Nine. And oh, uh, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna post a photo of her cake. I asked her if I could. It was a cake shaped like a greenhouse. <laughs> How do you make a cake shaped like a greenhouse? I'll post the photo. Um, it was to scale. To scale? Was this yeah. a professional cake maker? Professional friend. Mm. Yeah, it was impressive. It was it was really good. And I'm like, yes, I'm mixing with the right people. <laughs> he found your people. 
<laughs> yes, and it just confirmed for me once again, yes, this is correct. And one of the ladies there that I ran into that I know, I did some apple tree grafting for her uh, one or two years ago. She was there. What I neglected to find out previously was that she runs a Facebook group dedicated to Eurovision. Oh, how have you missed that? Oh, you're not on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. But I didn't know this about her. So this is very exciting. Had you previously made any Eurovision sort of connection with her or you didn't even know she was a Eurovision, I don't know, what do you call them, Eurovisioners, Eurovision? Well, yes, yes. We need a collective noun, don't we? Mm, Love a collective noun. A velour Mm. of fans, a glitter of fans. Go back. You had it the first time. (laughs) Velour. Yes. And I actually, I wore, I wore my velour trackie out to this party. Of course you did, yeah. Um, because it was for one of my Eurovision friends. So uh, velour tracksuit and heels to celebrate my friend's birthday. And, you know, if you're going to own it, you may as well get it out on the town. Yeah, of course. <laughs> All right. So you went out on Friday night to the, the greenhouse Eurovision party. Yes. In a greenhouse, just had a greenhouse cake, which was mm. spectacularly impressive. And then, oh, um. Possibly one tickets to a luncheon thing of like 10 people to um, go to Clementine Ford's house. Clementine? Clementine. 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 Yes. That might have been a name drop in there. How did it sound? Was it all right? (laughs) It was all right. Did she have a garden? Tiny one. Mm. Mm. Lovely. she She signed a book for me. She gave us a book and she signed it and she said, can't wait to listen to your podcast. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, mm. thanks, Clementine. And then, um, oh, today, I'm going to send it on Insta, Erin. Went out with Emily, went to a few nurseries. Ooh, I did. And I was wondering, I was trying to look in the background, was that one of the Diggers nurseries that you were at? I, well, I, I've been to a few of them and they usually, it's the labels, the way they have their, their labels. I'm like, I wonder what nursery she's at. I reckon that's a Diggers one. Which Diggers nursery were you at? Black Hill. Ah, yeah, of course, up near your way. Yeah, okay. Did um, you buy anything? Oh, yes. Oh, well, tell us. We went to three different nurseries. We went to Paddy's Nursery in Mombok um, because they've got a closing down sale. They're moving. And um, so we popped in there and I just picked up a couple of natives as stock plants for work. They've been then, stock plants because you're going to propagate from it? Or? Yes, yes. Oh, what were they? What were the natives? Um, oh, I bought a beautiful little hardened bergia. You know, you normally get it oh, as yeah. a vine. The little mm. shrub one. Oh, I have seen those. Yeah. I wonder if they're hardier because of the original. I know that they've done a lot of development of different varieties of hardenbergias but some of the original ones would only last sort of five years and then you'd basically have to replant them was sort of my experience with them but there might be some longer lived ones now um, and I bought a couple of really cute little pink corias oh nice um to do cuttings from and uh prostrate woolly bush oh the adenanthus mm. the, oh that's funny because I was looking at adenanthus yesterday at um at what the kids sport they have this huge garden bed full of it and uh, Genevieve uh, my daughter was looking at it and going what is that? Look, it's so soft. And I said, oh, well, we used to be able to grow that in a frost-free environment. Um, doesn't love it here. But if I reckon if I gave it protection in the first couple of years, maybe. So you said it's a prostrate form. Yes. Hmm, interesting. I hmm, wonder how that would go. Yeah, because that, that's quite good. I used to like, I planted that um, when I used to live in Melbourne around the kids' sand pit, like and around their cubby house, and I used to love that. Such a beautiful tactile plant, isn't it? Mm, oh, it's so soft. It's lovely. It's a good one. And then when the kids were at kinder and we would um, did a whole big new um, like sensory sort of garden, um, we did this huge hedge of adenanthus, and um, I went back a few years later and it just, growing they were monsters they were just so lovely mm, okay I'm jealous now yes well you should be you know I can pop back in and grab you some mm, yeah I'm wondering how that would go anyway no don't do it yet because I keep getting all these plants <laughs> I've seen the pot plant collection you've got out the front of your greenhouse yeah. that needs to go on the ground first yeah, there's there's about 200 plants there that need to go. <laughs> they're doing very well in those pots, I must say. I keep being surprised at that, but they're doing pretty well. <laughs> yeah, but they can't stay there forever. 
No, they can't. I need to dig holes for them. So, uh, yeah, I'll need, but I'm waiting until spring now. I think it'll be too torturous to get them out at this time of year. Oh, so, yeah, we went to diggers at Cloud Hill in Olinda. And, yes, I just basically follow Emily around while she <laughs> looks at things and points things out and goes, that's interesting. Oh, that's an interesting. Oh, you've been looking for that. And, um, but what I actually. So I was going to say, sorry to interrupt you, what was their stock level like at this time of year? Because I find sometimes winter it can be a bit uh, low sort of, uh, and naturally it would be. But. I would classify it as exceedingly unimpressive. Oh, dear, really? But it was probably the time of year. Like I'll, the their um, Blackwood Nursery is closest to where I am. And I know when we go there like spring and summer, it's, a tr- it's amazing. You go there and go, oh, look at this. Oh, look at this. And, you know, I can get lots of things. And I think that's, you know, fair enough. That's seasonal. And, oh, gosh, it was cold. When I left home this morning to meet up with Emily, it was mm. um, five degrees Celsius. Mm. And then by the time we got to Olinda, the sun was out and it was 10 degrees Celsius, but it was freezing in the shade. Mm, yeah, it was very cold here today. I needed to do some sort of spectacular dance moves to warm up. <laughs> well, I did uh, post some spectacular dance moves on Instagram today. So, uh, you know, take Christopher Walken as your model. <laughs> I, shall, I shall let that be my inspiration. <laughs> so did you end up getting anything from Diggers? Yes, and <laughs> I bought Diatomaceous Earths. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Handy. For my chicken. Oh, for your um, chickens. What do you use it for for your chickens? Um, To deter mite. Ah, okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, we used to sprinkle something in the nesting boxes when we had chickens for them. Maybe it was diatomaceous earth and I just didn't read it. Randomly sprinkling things in for your chickens. Oh, I don't I, You know, just got something that said, you know, this is for the chickens, keeps them healthy, sprinkle that in. You know, diatomaceous earth. Do you know where it comes from? No, I have no idea. The earth? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yes, but specifically. <laughs> the diatomaceous earth, no, sorry. <laughs> very close. It's from fossilised aquatic organisms called diatoms. Are they very prolific? Like Now? <laughs> no, but I mean, how much of this fossilised diatoms are there? Is this something like we're just, there's not going to be, we're not going to be able to buy diatomaceous earth soon, no, you'll be fine. Um, it's, it's, it's like digging up a swamp in the Northern Hemisphere and shipping it to Australia and going, it's peat moss, it's fine. Well, that's what I'm thinking it sounds like. Well, look, I don't think we're going to run out in a hurry because it's like $25 for a little bag of it. So no one's... This is true. Yeah. No one's applying it to Broadacre. Yeah. <laughs> uh, funds. Yeah, I had um, applied it before to the top of my um, indoor pot plants to try, you know, to stop um, bugs. And um, yeah, that, that was pretty effective. Apparently, you can use it to stop uh, your stink bugs. Mm. So, like, if you could buy big bags of it, I'd be using it at work on the berry patch to avoid the situation, as I described earlier this year, where mm. I stuck a stink bug in my mouth attached to a raspberry. By mistake, people, that was not oh. <laughs> deliberate. Well, I guess not. It wasn't deliberate. Like I've lived a life on the edge, Erin. But <laughs> eating stink bugs is not amongst it. I'm not, not looking cane toads. I'm not sticking stink bugs in my mouth. <laughs> oh god. Well, today while I've been out there weeding, I was thinking about all the things I want to propagate because I've got these. I was it well actually I wanted to ask you a question first because where I was pretty happy with this the garden bed that I was weeding and that I've still got heaps of gaps and I just I need to fill that to outcompete weeds. But it's had like two and a half years of me reapplying woody mulch um, each year. And so now it's got it's really like a deep bed. There was not a lot of uh, it was very rocky, so there wasn't a huge amount of topsoil. So this has been breaking down over a couple of years and it's really nice and it's crumbly and it's, uh, you can see all the sort of fungal activity that's happening there. And I was thinking on Gardening Australia a few weeks ago, I saw Sophie um, on there talking about applying mulch and she had said on there, which was something that I went, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard that a lot. And I thought, hmm, why is that? She was saying apply woody mulch to woody plants, you know, your woody wood chip mulches onto perennials and you know things that are persistent um, with a woody structure and then uh, but she said that's because woody plants prefer fungal activity which is active in woody mulches and she said things that then the your annuals like your annual vegetable crops and things like that you can put on they prefer bacterial activity so you're better off putting things like your sugarcane mulches and things like that 
because that tends to encourage bacterial activity. And I thought, I wonder why that, like, what, what is it that encourages fungal on one and bacterial on the other? I thought, I'll ask Jamie to see if she has any thoughts about that. Oh, awkward. I have none. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all right. I was just thinking, oh, I was just pondering about that for a while out there. I mean, I, I guess we've got more idea about, I know you love a bit of um, fungi or fungal activity and you're pretty keen on that. But, yeah, I was just wondering about the bacterial activity and I was trying to think through what would be causing that uh, or the catalyst for that. I haven't heard that before. So um... Yeah, and, and she sort of said it as a throwaway line during the show and then they didn't continue with it. And I was thinking, oh, that'd be interesting. I haven't really heard that either. I am going to follow that up and I will get back to you. <laughs> Message her. I could, couldn't I? Send her a little DM on Insta. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, that, that was um that was quite good. But yeah, I need to, I'm gonna top it up again with um with more mulch. And I got a bit excited for a while because there was there's a lot of um horsey people around me and there's a horse trainer near me who used to very helpfully bag up all of his horse poo in big old chaff bags and put it out the front and it was just free to take. And I created a very sizable compost pile from that. And I had messaged him to say, hey, is this all right? Can I just take this? And he went, oh, yeah, yeah, take it. We just put it out there. And then we had none since COVID. There hasn't been any. And I thought, oh, maybe people, there's less horse activity happening. Like I don't know, he trains professional horses and things. So anyway, whatever it was, that there had been none. And I got excited. I went for a walk this week and there were bags out. So I went by with the ute today to load up and then I realised, oh, he had a sign up and the sign had fallen down that is now charging per bag <laughs> and I didn't feel like I could take them and I didn't bring any coins with me. So <laughs> I was a bit disappointed. I was already in my mind, I'm playing a new compost pile. I'm going to, you know, compost this horse poo for six months. It's going to be terrific for my summer flowers. <laughs> no horse poo. I come up with a theory. Now, this will probably be incorrect and I'd just like to lead with that. Oh, sure. Keep the expectations low. I during COVID, because there was no horse racing, Hmm. Um, and horses have to pay their way when they're racing. I reckon they turn them into dog food, and that's oh. why that's why there's no horse poo because they're no longer pooing. Oh, that sounds awful. <laughs> well, you don't actually think there's chicken or beef in your dog food, do you? Well, that's what it says on the can. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> that's awful. Well, yeah. another thing happened on my walk this morning. I took my daughter, who this is very unusual for her to decide to come with me, but we did our, the big six and a half K up um, and there, we came across some new pets that someone over a few streets away has and they are miniature goats and they're the true miniature goats that are only like half a metre tall, really little legs um, and they were very sweet and they were coming up and saying meh, meh and wanting pats and everything. She was a bit obsessed. She's come home, flung herself into some mad research on miniature goats now in these situations because this is not the first sort of animal enthusiasm that she's had in these situations i tend to rely on tom farmer tom to just go nah no more animals like we're at animal capacity but um he listened to her and went yeah we could do that i was like what <laughs> you can do that oh yeah another couple of just miniature goats that'd be all right because we've got this old um hubby house that's in pieces that we've never actually put together and because they do need apparently goats are very susceptible to pneumonia and they need to be kept dry and warm so uh we said oh we put up this cubby house for them and they could go in with the alpacas do that they eat a lot of the same stuff that alpacas eat so it looks like we're going to be uh farming mini goats soon ones that you and i since we last podcasted you and i've actually seen each other in the flesh in the flesh we have we were in the same venue for two nights, which was delightful. Mm. And we walked and we saw some small goats. Are they those small goats, Erin? Or that's different small goats. Oh, I think, hang on. Yeah, I think they might have been those small goats where there was uh, the black-faced sheep and Suffolk sheep as well. I never saw those. Yes, now because someone's random dog was following us and we're about to hit the main road um, and we doubled back. Um, yeah, right near there. That was where yeah. they were, those I've, mini goats. I've seen your mini goats and I raise you the same mini goats. <laughs> well, you might be able to visit them here soon, although I said let's wait till spring where it's a bit warmer and less muddy and, you know, we're going to have to put more electric fencing up because, let's face it, goats, they climb everything. And you know mini goats are similar to miniature peeps? 
<laughs> I hope not because I've got a couple of those and they're a bit of work. In terms of, like, make sure you know where you get your mini goats from. Yeah, I'd thought about that. We're not just going to get them from anyone. He says, oh, yeah, yeah, mini needs to be, mm. I think, a registered breeder. Um, now, I'm further to my perennial plant yes. talk. Yes. I have been thinking more about my, my flower farming journey mm. and I'm more intent on I'm going to grow focus more on perennials and so this summer I'm going to have a big propagation summer I'm going to be taking lots of cuttings and I'm going to be propagating more and so I was looking into more perennials that um, were useful for cut flowers for foliage and flowers and I saw someone uh, I think it was on Instagram and it was I think it was a US or a UK grower don't think it was Australian and they had armfuls and armfuls of something that I'm growing that I didn't know could be a useful cut flower it's a buglier, but it's the globosa one, like the, the little round orange flowers. Oh, yeah. I've seen and it. I know. Yeah. It. Well, I sort of got it by accident because I was getting buglier for a hedge and they ran out of enough of like the regular longer sort of purple one. And they said, oh, we've got these other ones. So I went, oh, what's that? I like the look of that. Let's throw a few of those in. And I'm really loving them. They're really quite good. And I suppose I hadn't really, like I've picked the odd bit of Budlia to put in a vase at home sort of in the kitchen. And I hadn't really tested it out to see if what it was like as a cut flower. But, man, I'm going to do that this year. So it holds up all right? Well, it has when I've tried it, but I haven't really tested it properly. But have you had it in a vase? No, but I've been thinking about that same Budlia. For a couple of years now. Um, what is it? Globosa. Globosa, yeah. Um, there's one that I drive by I, um, between my house and my sister's house. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that looks fantastic. And I was wondering how it would go as a cut flower. So I'm very excited to hear you say all this and mm. get this out. I love the idea of arms, armfuls of it. Oh, yeah, it looked amazing. And there's something else, and this is just, I suppose, for selfish reasons. Uh, I noticed that Lamley have just, um, Lamley Nursery, done a clematis release. I, I've i only ever grown a couple of clematis, and I must admit I didn't have huge success, but I really didn't look after them. Oh, I've just recently sort of started seeing a lot of clematis around and there's one that Lamley have at the moment this big dark red one with these yellow centers but there's this one that I've seen at a nursery near me that it opens out to a big double white flower but then when it's in bud and just opening it's like a really almost like a limey green Ooh. You're lovely. And I know that it's not going to be massively long lasting in a vase, but I was just thinking for a specialist, like for an event florist, you know, a specialist flower for, you know, lovely trailing sort of arrangements and things like that. I thought, oh, I really like you. I could grow some of those. I was thinking, I've started planning, I've got an enormous water tank here of like sort of cladding it in like a Rio frame and just thickly growing white clematis up. I think it's the most excellent idea. <laughs> You're with me on that? I, I support you in this. I am a plant enabler, so. Mm, this is true. Gonna, You're going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. The most I think clematis will do, they like the cold, don't they? I think they do well here. I actually don't know. I haven't really, really grown them since no, I was haven't a kid. you? No. I thought you used to have clematis. You could be confusing me with my sister. Oh, your sister was growing clematis. Mm. Ah. Yeah, she was I in think... a very cold climate. She, When mm. she had clematis, she was in sassafras and it was pretty cold and she was growing them up frame around her water tank. Ah, oh, there you go. Hmm. I might try them. Oh, one, one of the things I forgot to tell you about, um, Emily and I went to a third nursery yep. that I haven't been to before, to my great shame, my great horticultural shame. I've been driving past this nursery for years going, oh, let's go in there one day. Gentiana Nursery. Um, it's near Olinda. It's on the Olinda Mombolk Road. It's not a big nursery, but they do fabulous little bits and pieces and it's more of if you're a collector and you know what you're looking at or okay. if you're taking your Emily with you. Oh, she then... knows what she's looking at. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I did see some nice um, varieties of variegated holly there. I, I love a variegated holly for mm. thinking Christmas bouquets. Mm. Yeah, but I don't love a very yellow variegation. Yeah, look, you know my thoughts on variegation, and I think variegation can be a controversial topic amongst gardeners. I have never been a lover of your variegation. To me, it just looks like. Some 
someone's just gone in there and messed with the plant and I don't love it. Um, But then she asked recently, just the last year or so, I've seen the odd variegated plants. You look all right. You look like you're supposed to be like that. Look like you're supposed to be like that. Yeah, it's not like you're just a bit sick and pasty and spotty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I think when I saw something like towards the end of last year, I thought, oh, it's very unusual for me. It's a variegated plant, but I don't mind it. And you said that about the yellow. You said, yeah, because that what you're looking at, it had more white in it. Yes. I think I've said to you before, I've got a really nice variegated hydrangea from Emily. Look, oh, I've never God. seen a variegated hydrangea. Oh, well, good news. be unusual. Very unusual. Um, and it's a very good form. Um, I can hook you up. Okay. I took cuttings of it this year with uh, the hydrangea prop. Mm, well, that's something to look out for. Um, so anyway, you found at this third nursery at Gentiana. I had some interesting little things. I have a fabulous little um, striped, uh, I think it was a winter iris. I'll send you a photo. I'll, I'll chuck it on Insta. Yeah, um, do. And, yeah, but by then my toes were freezing. So <laughs> I got distracted from the plants and went, I think I'm ready to go home for a cup of tea. Yeah, fair enough. And I haven't written school reports yet. Uh, oh, yeah, because we're coming up to mid-year, aren't we? Mm. Uh, while I, I saw you last weekend, mm-hmm. someone sent me a fabulous little clip um, on from YouTube. It's, um, it's originally from the BBC. I'm going to tell you, it's the Jesus Seeds, right? Um, <laughs> Jesus Seeds? All right, I'm writing this down. Right, Jesus, Jesus seeds. seeds. Do you want me to spell that for you? Jesus Seeds. Jesus Seeds. I've got it. Don't write it down because it's not accurate. So the Ah. BBC um, (laughs) clip is called Extinct Tree from the Time of Jesus Rises from the Dead in Israel. What? So so some seeds are rising from the dead. Yeah, you want me to read that again? Because it's a pretty snappy short title. So what, but what was the actual story? What was? I'm going to read it. Hang on, I'm going to read you an extract in a second. But it's all right. So just again, once again, extinct tree from the time of Jesus rises from the dead in Israel. Do yourselves a favour, people. Look that up on YouTube. Now, it links to one of my favourite books. Mm -hmm. You've been talking about, oh, we should do things on our favourite books. I know. Ah, I know. I know. The, the reading I do these days is for uni um, and I have one favourite book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so all of mine, while you're doing books, I think I'll just cover favourite sections from my favourite book. Your Jesus Seeds, right? Mm-hmm. They come from The Date Farm. Ah, is that extinct though? Yeah, the Judean Date Palm was. Ah. So from, from the... My favourite book, The Drunken Botanist by Amy Stewart. There's mm-hmm. a section in here about date palms. So here's a little backstory to that YouTube clip that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2005, an archaeologist in Israel had a simple but stunning idea. Why not try and germinate a 2,000-year-old date palm seed that had been sitting in storage? While old seeds from archaeological excavations had been sprouted before, nothing this old had ever been resurrected. But date palms produce what botanists call orthodox seeds, which means they remain viable long after they're thoroughly dried. And the opposite of orthodox seeds is a recalcitrant seed, which can only be sprouted while fresh and damp. And they give avocado as an example of a recalcitrant. Oh, sorry. Yeah, a recalcitrant seed. And funny, because I'm going all sorts of places in my mind with this. Number one, recalcitrant reminds me of is it the 1990s when Paul Keating called the then president of Indonesia recalcitrant? <laughs> Just like an avocado. Um, well, all I'm thinking when you're telling me this, that they resurrected a bloody 2,000-year-old seed. Yeah. I can't even get my everlastings to sprout because they're a year old. They, they're recalcitrant, they're let me recalcitrant. tell you. <laughs> I tell you, if ever there was recalcitrant seed, it's recalcitrant. I'm getting very frustrated with those. So I think I'm going to have to buy whole new batches and I've got to searching out from someone who at least who can guarantee that they're fresh seed. I think you have to pick your own. Oh, hang on, there's another I don't have bit. any to pick. I'll send you some. Hold on. I think there's another little bit about that seed. One moment, please. <laughs> oh, so 
This particular ancient seed came from um, an excavation at Masada in Israel, where the Jewish zealots committed mass suicide in 73 AD rather than submit to Roman rule. The seed had been found at the site and stored carefully away until the day archaeologists decided to sprout it. If plants could act surprised, this one certainly would have been startled to awaken <laughs> after nearly 2,000 years of slumber in a modern greenhouse. Housed in a plastic pot and fed by drip irrigation, this particular variety of palm, called the Judean date palm, went extinct around 500 AD, making it even more astonishing that the palm was resurrected from the dead. Its caretakers are still waiting to find out if they've sprouted a boy or a girl, and I hope for a girl so they can sample the long-vanished fruit. That is amazing. Now, what you need to all do is look up that stunning and short title of the BBC clip from YouTube, unless I can find out some way to post it, um, because so that uh, this BBC clip has the ongoing story, this palm and what happened. Oh, that does sound fascinating. What a what marvellous oh. book that is. That's the book that just keeps giving. Oh, my God, it just does. But I will give away part of the story. What I do find fascinating, so, right, the, the Jewish zealots go into Masada. They commit mass suicide rather than becoming being captured and becoming slaves for the Romans. In the BBC Real, they're talking about the fact that the palms were actually wiped out when the Christian crusaders came through. It's territory with complex political issues coming through and changing mm. the horticultural landscape as well as the human toll. Oh, very much is. Okay. There's a lot to unpack there, Jamie. Isn't there? Well, while we're on the subject of books, we did not plan this, but I also have a book here to, uh, since we were talking about books. Now, this is one I actually got at Christmas called The Complete Language of Flowers by Teresa Dietz. Now, because I've been quite interested in the meaning of flowers. I had sort of toyed with this idea that, you know, I could offer like, you know, there's custom bouquets that, you know, with certain meanings and it would include flowers and different plants have a certain meaning. Now I've been reading through this book and this is not as easy as I thought it was going to be because I thought this is great. I've got a book now that tells me what all the flowers mean. It is very confusing because it is not really clear. I'm just going to give you a couple of examples. Dianthus can mean perfection it can mean treachery and then <laughs> it, it can mean constancy it can mean all of those things uh it can mean bad luck and it can mean good fortune so i think you can call it whatever you like and then for another example geranium can mean constancy it can mean health it can mean joy it can mean deceit mm. <laughs> that's complex. I complex going through this and everything sort of has double meaning. So I thought, mm, I don't know, I think we'll scrap that idea. Watching Antiques Roadshow where they talk about, you know, someone brings in a family heirloom brooch and mm -hmm. they talk about the jewels and the, the meaning of them and they say, you know, and of course because this stone means this. So and it is in the forget-me-not, it's in the shape of a forget-me-not flower and it's in this gem. So, you know, it is about constancy and, you know, Ever, everlasting love. Have you been watching Antiques Roadshow? Is this how no. this is coming? Oh, so just me then? Yeah, just you. <laughs> but I'm loving it. I'm loving where you're going with it. I've got the picture. Something to tell you. Mm -hmm. Antiques Roadshow is my chosen TV show for while I'm folding the laundry. Oh, is it? Do, do you love it if someone comes in and gets told that, you know, great aunt Matty's brooch that they've had sitting somewhere in a drawer is now going to make them millionaires or something? Is this what happens? One of my great delights is when someone brings in a brooch and the guy that specialises in this particular area tells them well you know where this is you know what this is don't you and they're like no no I don't know <laughs> and he says well this is a Fabergé <laughs> and because we know it's going to be worth a lot of money so it's very exciting but what I love is like that there seems to be a lot of people in the UK with Fabergé just kicking around 
never happened to me. No, I've never. Although, I tell you what, both my mother and my mother-in-law are moving houses and we've been cleaning out all of their belongings. Man, there could be a Fabergé amongst all of that somewhere. <laughs> there is a... Check it out. Well, it's part of my, like, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a trad wife. I'm a, mm. I'm a tradie tradey wife. wife. But, you know, some of us tradie ladies, you know, we're still folding the washing and I quite like it. I'm, I'm no good at putting the washing away, but I'm really good at folding it. <laughs> no one in my family is good at putting washing away. <laughs> I don't even fold it anymore because huh. I figure I wash it, I dry it, and then I just hurl it all onto the laundry bench and say, all right, it's up to all of you blokes now to put your own stuff away. I love folding it because I can watch Antiques Roadshow. Oh, do you know my um, TV of choice to have on in the background while I'm doing something? Grand Designs. I love a bit of Kevin MacLeod. Hey, on Insta, like, I think it's called non-contextual um <laughs> Non-contextual grand designs. So, hang on, what's this? I'm going to look this up. Find it and send it to you. And it's just little random bits of (laughs) grand designs out of context. Awesome. It's a delight. Dan, who did our theme music, he put me onto it. Oh, I love it. I I just, I love grand designs. I just find something about Kevin McLeod's voice is just very soothing. I could just listen to it in the back. And the thing is, I'd sort of watched all everything that was available on iView and I now have Binge and they've got something like all 24 seasons of (laughs) grand designs. I didn't even know there were so many seasons. I've got all this stuff I can watch. Love it. You should get a TV in your greenhouse while you're propagating. You could oh, be too dangerous. Kev could be talking to you. Oh, yeah, that's true. But what I've been, I've just used that time for my podcast listening. So today, for example, when I was weeding and I got all the dirt in my phone crevices, um, I was, I've been working my way through the ABC okay. conversation. Oh, yes. Oh, that's been interesting. I just had such a broad range of people on there. I listened to, there was a woman on today. Um, such a such bizarre story. So she's flying, I don't know if it's around Australia or following like some sort of migratory paths, like a like a glider, light flight aircraft sort of thing that she's built herself and following the like flight paths of uh, shorebirds. And, and she's actually did a fine art degree in tapestry and she was a professional tapestry Heard maker. It. Heard it. So, like oh. these bizarre stories. And then I listened to Don Walker and then I listened to Billy Bragg. And Did you listen to our friend Alison? She did an hour-long conversation. Did she? I yes. didn't see her. Oh, I'll flick through there. After we'd interviewed her, she was Oh, word got out. Yeah. <laughs> got out. This lady knows a bit about fungi. We should do an hour-long interview with her. So that I'm pretty sure that came from the interview what we did. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> the big time after that. Actually, I did listen to, there's a podcast, UK podcast. It's just a short sort of 25, 30-minute interviews. It's called Roots and All. Um, and some of those are good. They're, they're, I do like a slightly longer one while I'm gardening. But she had, uh, I think it was an academic on there. Was, I thought Jamie will love this. His specialty is mosses. Good. Oh, and he talked at length about the mosses and different types of mosses and what's going on from a microscopic level and what they're doing for the ecosystem. Oh, look that one up. That was fascinating. Have you still got it on your phone? Can you just shoot that through to me? Oh, yeah. Okay. Let me um, send that to Jamie. Send that to yeah. Jamie. Um, oh, now, during the week, I put in some hardwood cuttings. So hardwood cuttings being generally um, done in winter and most frequently with deciduous plants. Um, and I forgot to tell you, Erin, when we were making content for Insta, I forgot to tell you one of the important things. They should be done before the shortest day of the year. Oh, why is that? Um, I think it's got to do with your daylight hours and getting them in and then your days are lengthening and it encourages them to grow or something. But it's one of those horticultural rules mm. that do your hardwood cuttings before the shortest day. Which is next week. So does that mean then basically the propagation window for the maximum chance of success is sort of closed now really then until the weather warms up again towards no, you've summer? You've got a week. You've got a week. Yeah, but, uh, but after this week then you'd say, look, you're probably best off putting in your effort into the summer mm. ones then? You could do it. It's it's one of those things that if you were, if you were working in a nursery that would be your time frame. Try and get them done by then. If it was outside of that, maybe you'd be expecting that um, your strike rate might drop. But, uh, yeah, so I got in some rose understocks. Mm. Um, 
because I've got a couple of beautiful roses that um, I want to graft. When you do rose grafting, it's called budding because you don't use a stick. You just slice out one little bud and put it on your understock. So I put in about 50 rose understocks. Oh, just a few. And oh, some hazelnut um, hardwood cuttings because they have got spectacular catkins and I'm thinking of you. You'll need these. Yeah, well, um, Tom's very keen on, he loves the trees and he's quite keen on having hazelnuts and um, he put a few in the orchard, but I think one or two of them died. So he was keen on planting some more hazelnuts in there. So, yes. Um, I don't think there's another hazelnut in the hood because this this one comes from my son's primary school in the car park. It has beautiful catkins and it never sets fruit, so I don't think there's another um, hazelnut. Or okay. um, I don't know. Well, oh, maybe we'll Google it. Quick, hit the Google machine, Erin, while I talk to you. Uh, hazelnut mm-hmm. trees gendered like the Jesus palms. Do you know palm trees mm-hmm. come in male and female, like separate trees? So when they're mm-hmm. grown the Jesus seeds, the Judean palm, they're hoping that the tree was going to be female because if it was male, all they're going to get is pollen from it. But if they get a female, then they're going to get fruit from it. Oh, okay. So they, hazelnuts do not self-pollinate. You need two genetically different varieties. They are monoecious, meaning they have separate male and female flowers on the same tree. Male and female flowers may bloom at different times. Strangely interesting. The catkins are the male parts of the tree that produce and release pollen. Yeah, all the pictures of the catkins are very impressive. I think I do need some of those. Yeah, because I've got a big vase full and they've been sitting in the vase for about four weeks now and they Mm. still look good. Oh, look at the hairdo, the the hazelnut. It seems like a very tricky nut to to get to, like in terms of the pollination. It's a long process. The flower clusters are produced more than a year before the nut's ready to harvest. So the catkins begin to form, well, as we're seeing, like sort of mid-May, appear June. They don't reach maturity until December or January. How interesting. And then the female flower parts begin to form at the end of June, July, and they get start becoming visible, like getting close to Christmas. But you're going to need another variety to help them pollinate nearby. So if you've only got the one variety of hazelnut there, it's just, yeah, then you're not going to get nuts. I can live with this because... I just like the catkins. Mm, yeah, well, I, I think that'd be good. Me on my perennial, you know, interesting niche sort of, you know, foliage and that sort of thing. And I love any little, you know, knobbly, unusual bits. I'm all for that. Yes. Oh, you'll need these. I probably put in about 50 hazelnut cuttings as well. So mm, I'm going to get into the hazelnut business, I think. Maybe not for the nuts, just for the catkins. Yeah, just for the catkins. And they're quite a pretty tree. I quite like yeah. the tree. Yeah. Quite nice. Ooh, um, you've cause... got a relative, or is it chestnut relative, the twisted filbert. Oh, yeah. Think... Yeah, we like to call it the cranky filbert here. Filbert. Cranky mm. filbert, which is a twisted filbert or a crazy filbert. I think mm. they're um, also closely related. Are they? Oh, well, that makes sense because I can see the similarity. Yeah, I've got one growing um, near my front door here. Uh, this plant oh. that with the, the branches grow, um, like they curl and twist. And it's kind of like if you had curly hair, that's how these branches grow. Fabulous yeah, plant. it looks, it always reminds me a bit of the Whomping Willow in Harry Potter. <laughs> less Womp, more Crank, you're telling yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, it's less Womp, more Crank. It's full of Crank. Maybe I need some more of that too. That'd, make, that'd be interesting. They're slow growing though. Yes, um, and I don't have time for it. And I'll the sun. Um, no. that, oh, I was looking at, while I, while I was waiting for you this evening, Erin, um, I was flicking through Instagram, which we mention often, and bloody Kew Gardens just, you know, have this little post on there, but, oh, the poppies are popping up everywhere. Mm. I don't know how many hundreds of poppy seeds I scattered last year and the slugs went, thank you. Uh, They're delicious. And I um, find them very hard to propagate from seed. Never used to, though. This is, like in Selby, had poppies growing everywhere, like the Flanders Field ones mm. and the Shirley poppies and in my youth the peony poppies. Um, oh, I do love those peony poppies. Yeah. But- uh, the ones I ended up, was it last year or the year before, I got from Ball um, 
some plugs because I'm thinking the Iceland poppies. Mm. They're what are they? The the Nudical, Nordical, Nudical, whatever. And they're the ones for cut flowers. And I really I love them. They were beautiful. Um, and they went really really well. They were terrific. But again, I got them from plugs. I had I tried to get some from seed because Ball stopped doing the plugs. I think and the seed as well. Yeah. So the seed. I I think I have heard that the best way for you doing them from seed is to give them some bottom heat, and then you want to give them a good. But you got to get them in early enough in the autumn so then they get straight out and get a bit of a cold sort of snap to be able to they like the cold in the giant Iceland varieties I think it's called something like champagne bubbles or yeah that's what I had the champagne yeah. bubbles mm, yeah I've got and seed then, of that yeah oh, yeah well that's what I um, would like to grow again but then I did see again <laughs> Lamley have started selling the seed this year mm. And they reckon their ones get 50 centimetres tall. Yeah, because mine weren't quite. I reckon mine got to maybe 40 at best. So I was thinking, well, I might, I, don't, I, mean, I might be getting a bit late now, but I'd, um, even if I can save them, like store them in the fridge till next year or something, thinking I might try to order a few of those packets from Lamley and give them a go. I, um, mine got to slug height. <laughs> Which is not very tall. Not at all. I don't think slugs get that full. <laughs> I'm going to try out this new uh, thing that Emily sent me about because she really hears me rapping on about slugs a lot. Um, I'll try she, anything that Emily suggested, let's face it. She shot me a little thing on the Instagram about mm. um, catching slugs with two terracotta pots where you have a smaller pot um, inside a larger pot. You turn them upside down and the slugs during the day are looking for somewhere to retreat to. And um, mm-hmm. so they go in the hole that would normally be in the bottom of your pot, which is now in the top because your pot's upside down, and um, they hang out between the two pots. So uh, what's the point of the... It just lugs between two layers and um, okay. and then, yeah, I don't know, but I'm going to give it a go. I've got some terracotta pots. I'm going to give it a go. So then you turn the pots over and you've captured all of them and yeah. you can get rid yeah. of them? Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. All so right. How, how tall are we talking? So the slugs have to climb up the outside of the pot and go into the hole? Small pot. It's like a six-inch or a oh, okay. millimetre pot. All right. Interesting. Give that a go. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm going to going to build some raised bed in early spring for some more of my um, flowers. I think I've had some trouble with wind. It's quite windy here, so I'm going to start growing. Did you, is this about your diet again because you were telling me about legumes? <laughs> that's not affecting the flowers oh. <laughs> weather pattern wind but yes oh, please thanks. i'd like to share that with everyone oh, with your hectopastels <laughs> hectopascals really close yeah, to it more, yeah more hectopascals less fiber mm, is what i'm talking about and um so yeah i well that was actually originally what i got all this gowra for because i was going to do a like a hedgy windbreak out of that but of course i did what i often do Oh, I saw all this gower. Let's buy, oh, not gower, sorry, buddleia. These are two plants I interchangeably use all the time. And Tom, every time I say gower, because I do have gower here growing as well, Tom says she means buddleia <laughs> every single time. Anyway, I bought all this buddleia and um, to do this sort of windbreak. And then I had like 25 pots of it and it had to go in the ground. And I was no near, I was not even close to be ready to dig holes and put it in the ground exactly where I wanted it because it's very rocky and I've got to build up a bed. So now I have all these buddleia dug into every other garden bed all around the properties. <laughs> and this is why I'm going to have lots of propagating to do from it over summer because I've got so many of them, which is not a bad thing because they've all survived. They're tough as goat's knees. I think I've uh, <laughs> oh, heard that before. Oh, yeah. So, uh, and I was, although some of the Budlia did have a slight setback this weekend. So, our the normal paddock that our alpacas are in, Kevin, John Wick, and Macca, uh, they, they um, have grazed down most of the grass. So, because it's now getting wet, their paddock, it doesn't like to, whatever the grass is, it grows in. It's a type of rye that doesn't grow as well over winter. So, they have plenty. It's- cold and your daylight uh, hours are short as well that would be why but uh, it grows fine over summer they don't run out of feed over summer but over winter we hand feed them a lot of extra pellets and things so we like to let them out of the paddock and roam around the house and everything so they can eat the rest of the grass and they still get some grass into them but now that we've been building up some of the garden beds closer to the house the alpacas decided that they just go and browse on everything there and see what they liked I've got three um, raffiolepis, like the Indian hawthorn plants, that 
a slow, slow going, growing. They're probably the slowest growing plant I've got in the garden. First thing they chew. So, <laughs> was, Murphy's law of alpaca ownership. Must be. And but they also, what Tom was a bit, and I was saying, Tom, look and see they're doing this. We're going to have to put them back. It's like, oh, yeah, give them, just shoo them away, let them go. But then they went down and they started eating his apple trees. And as soon as they started on the cider apple trees, he's like, nope, back in the paddy. If those alpacas did not do themselves a favour. They could have eaten all the grass out and about. Yeah. Look what they did to themselves. And but, there's, um, there's so much grass. They could have done that. I mean, these guys could have been sleeping up on the outdoor furniture and the deck behind the house <laughs> if they had bathed themselves. Yeah, though I was impressed. What reminded me when I was saying about tough as goat's knees, you know, we've got like this rocky sort of embankment around our house and they just like nuts scrabbling up and down the rocks, no problem. Like I would struggle to do that and these alpacas were just galloping up and down it. I didn't realise they were so agile. <laughs> like on tv going up and down the trails to machu picchu maybe they do i guess so i mean i don't think my alpacas have ever been anywhere near machu picchu <laughs> the closest mine have come is just a uh, wandering up a slightly slopey <laughs> hill but, um i'd be careful because john wick is named after a famous assassin like that alpaca could take you out the kids are a bit um ambitious naming him john wick he's the smallest and scaredest and <laughs> So it was kind of alpaca, a bit of alpaca irony. Yeah, well, they, they didn't know that at the time. They just went, oh, he's the darkest coloured one. We'll call him John Wick. He's going to be the one that's protecting everyone from foxes and that sort of thing. Mm. No, not John. Um, so what's coming up this week? What are you doing gardening-wise? So we're doing a lot more weeding, although the kids have only got another week till school holidays and I'm hoping to bribe them to do some of my weeding. Um, And then I want to plant a whole lot more seed. Um, So I've done all the first round of all the planting of the cool annuals. Did you video yourself soil blocking? I started doing that um, and then the phone fell over. So I am going to do it again this week. Uh, And I want to uh, show some of the, um, like the really, small seed that I've got and you know what how I put that in but yes I will do another soil blocking video and I'll put that up and I'll share that to show you what I do and what I make the mix out of Um, but the other thing I'm doing this week we've got lots of oak trees around here and the, the leaves are all everywhere so we're collecting all of that up and covering our vegetable beds, which are a bit sort of just fallow at the moment in winter. Um, and we're just thickly covering that. We've got a layer of alpaca poo and then a layer of oak leaves. And then we've just put some wire over it to sort of keep it down. It doesn't blow off. Let that compost down. And then we're just topping it with a little bit more extra compost. We're hoping for a bit of a bumper summer crop in there this year. Yeah. What about you? What's on this week for you? Everywhere. I've got stuff everywhere. I think I need to do some planting. I think I'll get out tomorrow rugged up in my thermals because there's um, a couple of ripper cold uh, front weather systems coming through. Mm, I think it's going to be like seven degrees here on Thursday. Yeah, um, and they were talking it uh, about snow down to 500 metres at one stage. So Ooh, you might get snow. Yeah, I think I'm. if this, if it's not raining, I think I'm going to get out in the garden this week. My dahlias aren't quite ready to dig up. I've decided I'm going to move some of them because I love a little tinker like that, like, no, this didn't work. I'll have to move you further back <laughs> into the garden bed and I'm eyeing off a fabulous space for, hey, you get some sun. I reckon I can grow mm. some things here. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so I think, look, I've got a whole lot of tidying to do and I promised myself that I would do it um, when I had a break from uni, which is now. So um, <laughs> I've also got to finish putting wire on my steps so that I don't ah, kill any. Oh, yes, you were telling us about those steps. Mm, that was and a while the, ago. And the grippy paint? Oh, well, I'm going to grippy paint them in summer because they're, they've been so wet for so long. I can't get them dry and paint them mm. till summer. So I'm putting chicken wire on them at the moment but I've only done the top half but the only way to access them is from the bottom so <laughs> hmm. yeah logistical problem <laughs> I, I could still kill you with my steps from the bottom <laughs> our next like, get together I'm yeah. going to come up to you and we can do some filming from there maybe we can film your uh deathly step imagine that like imagine if you were filming and then you slid <laughs> down Shh, don't say it you know that'll happen <laughs> no, but, but I did the top ones it should have been fine. <laughs> All right. Well, you have a good week. You too, Matt. All right. See you next time. See you next time. Bye. 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 
Just a note on our very catchy garden hose tunes, we have our original music composed and produced by Martini Toothpick. Martini Toothpick are Dan Zielinski and Mika Coleman. We would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we reside and recognise their continuing connection to lands, waters and communities and recognise that their wisdom and knowledge has been passed on for thousands of years.